Hey everybody, this is Alex. Hey, it's Natasha. And we are here to talk just for a second about Extra Crunch TechCrunch's subscription product. Extra Crunch is where a lot of our best analysis and follow-up stories lives. We focus a lot on startups, building, and even poke fun here and there. It's true. I also write a daily column called The Exchange that's over on Extra Crunch. And the good news is, if you don't have EC access yet, we have a deal for you. Yes, you can use, I think, the best code there is. So don't tell anyone who doesn't listen to Equity because they're not invited. The code is Equity, all caps, for 50% off your Extra Crunch subscription. So head over to techcrunch.com slash subscribe. Use that code. Make us look good internally. We say thanks across the internet. And now let's do a show. Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I am joined today, as always, by my two absolute favorites. I have Natasha Mascarenas here. Natasha, you are in Jersey. Life is good. We're vaccinated. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm rocking a high pony today. So feeling better than usual. With, with, let's go ahead and say it, a scrunchie, which you are trying to, quote, quote, bring back out here. <laughs> it's back. It's back, everyone. Put them on. Uh, if you have hair, I, Natasha told me before this show started that I was not invited to the scrunchy party because I'm bald, <laughs> which I thought was rude. Uh, we also have Danny Crichton here. Danny, you have hair. How are you doing? I'm in New York City, and I realized today that Claritin no longer works on allergies. Are, are you taking Claritin D or, or, or non-Claritin D? I think I took all the above. <laughs> I don't know if they cancel each other out. I'm sort of exaggerating, but seriously, allergies suck. Yes. So here's what's going on. Over the weekend, if you were watching the tweets or the crypto charts, you may have noticed a flash crash in the value of a number of cryptocurrencies. Now, why this happened, there's various explanations. It was a power cut in China. It was possible money laundering stuff in the US. It was blah, 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 blah. But what matters is crypto kind of jumped back onto our radar. And so we thought, look, let's parse the recent news. Let's talk about what's been going on and, and get a handle for the current crypto space, because there's more going on, a lot more than just the Coinbase direct listing. I mean, there's just so much information going on. Today, we're going to talk about NFTs. We'll talk more about that. But obviously, the Beeple, 69 million bucks, uh, a couple of major multi-million dollar NFTs sold in the last week. So we're going to talk about a bunch of fundings there. Dogecoin is having its moment in the sun for at least a couple of days. So we'll talk about that. And then two smaller pieces of news. Venmo adding cryptocurrency support this morning. So seeing more mainstream adoption of cryptocurrencies. They're adding Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin into the app so you can buy, sell, exchange, and store. Brian Brooks, the former director of the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, one of those unknown government agencies that's super powerful that you probably want that job but no one realizes it exists, is going to become the CEO of Binance.us, one of the largest Bitcoin exchanges in the world. And at the very end of the show, we are going to talk to each other about where we think the crypto world is going, what startups in the crypto space are the most interesting, and also what impact the Coinbase direct listing will have on kind of broader venture capital interest in the crypto space. So we're going to hit a lot of things. We have we have a segment here on the show about funding, recent funding, recent venture capital rounds for a, a host, a bevy of NFT marketplaces. And I want to riff through these because I have a lot of questions about why there are so many NFT marketplaces. Natasha, there's Rarible, there's Super Rare, there's OpenSea, there's Dapper Labs. Give us, give us a rundown of these companies, how much they've raised and, and how, if you can, uh, they're not exactly the same. Yes. So I'll, I'll run through it really quickly, kind of in order of notoriety or valuation. So first we have Rarible. It raised $1.75 in a seed round. One of his investors actually notably was Coinbase Ventures. Didn't know they had a venture firm. It's been around for years. So they're, they're investing. 
We also have another NFT marketplace, Super Rare, raising $9 million in a Series A. They had Mark Cuban and Sound Ventures, as well as Shrug Capital. Then there's OpenSea, which raises $23 million from Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the biggest investors in Coinbase. Again, we're seeing Coinbase being part of this environment. And then last but not least, Dapper Labs is raising at over a $7.5 billion valuation. Dapper Labs, I think, became the, the deal it is because they are the people behind Top Shot. It's a joint venture with the NBA. Okay. I, I want to go over to Danny here because I prep you for the show. I realized that Rarible, Super Rare, and OpenSea, Danny, are all building on the Ethereum blockchain, right? And then there is Dapper Labs, which is building on Flow, which is its own, I think, its own blockchain. And to me, it was fascinating to see multiple companies building on a singular chain and then to have the biggest, most valuable one building on its own. And, and so I'm curious about the venture perspective on kind of like going it your own way in the crypto world and if an NFT really has value on a blockchain you made up. Well, I mean, obviously it's about supply and demand, right? Like any artwork, like any uh, non-fungible entity, you know, it, it's all ultimately about the market, right? So some of these want to say, hey, it's not about the infrastructure, it's about what we're selling. And so we're just going to use Ethereum. It's reliable at this point. It's been out for several years. There's a wide market. It's reproducible, maybe not scalable. And that's sort of the big challenge with Ethereum. Dapper Labs is sort of taking this approach with its flow token of saying, let's re-envision what the blockchain is if we knew that NFTs was what we want to do from day one. So Ethereum is a programmable blockchain. One of the things you can program on top of it is an NFT, but it was never designed to be native to building right. NFTs. You had to build that on top of that as an API. Dapper Labs is just saying, let's just start from the beginning and say, look, if we were to do NFTs from the get-go, let's build that natively. That's what flow is. That said, there's different axes to evaluate these companies. And I think Dapper is not just based on its technology, but but really it's it's alliance. It's marketing with NBA and other sports stars. You know, to me, like they're 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 starting to become this Coinbase where they have the technology platform, the brands, they have the goods that people want, you know, and they've also been around the longest, right? They they were the ones who invented crypto kitties all the way back at the very beginning of this whole cycle. Yeah, and I, I want to uh, dig more on this because I think if you built a new blockchain to support NFTs without exclusive content to drive use of it, it would die. That's what right. people are building on. Right. That's what these marketplaces are building on Ethereum because if I own the uh, digital rights ownership NFT status, whatever, on Ethereum, it's a big major blockchain. It means something, right? But if I, if I own something on Alex's super awesome, tremendous blockchain, no one cares. But on the Flow blockchain, they essentially showed up with the content people wanted to buy. And so they essentially made it the place to be. So I, you know, I could actually see other uh, content varieties, varietals, whatever, end up on their own chains if they had enough to, uh, supply to drive sufficient demand to make the blockchain uh, real, if you I will. think that's right. And I think there's two things to remember. One is no one even knows what an NFT is today, right? We don't know what exactly you're buying. You're buying this entity, right? Which isn't even necessarily unique. It doesn't necessarily connect to anything in the real world. So there's still a lot of experimentation you can do at the infrastructure layer because consumers don't even pay attention to it. You know, as you pointed out, Dapper Labs, to me, is becoming the Disney NFTs right now, right? They have the goods that people want. They have what you want to see, people what, what people want to buy. Um, no one cares if Disney Plus, how they stream. Does, do you know how they stream? Do you know what pipe, in, you know, internet, you know, CDN they're using to deliver videos? No, you just want to <laughs> watch build, Pinocchio or whatever come. the heck you want to watch. <laughs> Some terrible movie from the 1950s. So uh, I, to me, like Dapper Labs is getting the content right. But ultimately, like that's what an NFT is. I mean, it's ultimately a consumer play to buy individually unique goods. Uh, who cares about the technology in a lot of ways? As long as the technology works, that's the caveat. I think the biggest challenge for these companies, maybe beyond Dapper Labs, 
is how to be more than just the single moment of virality or the single sale that makes everyone freak out. Like, how can they consistently have content that they can rely on that makes people want to come back? Because I think NFTs, like we talked about this actually during our NFT episode about how we're not even in the beta stage of this conversation. We're in like the pre-alpha. So we can't be unfair to them. So I don't want to be, but I'm also like, well, you're raising seed money. So I'm going to be a little bit questioning about where you're going. And it's worth a lot. And and but to me, like the 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 brilliance here. I mean, they started with Crypto Kitties, which was which is it was its own kind of a fun experiment. It was sort of Pokemon-ish. You could evolve your kitties. They could breed and crossbreed yeah. all the stuff. So it was, it was fun and it was like inventive. But what's brilliant is they went to sports. And the brilliance of sports is sports is constantly changing, right? There's constantly new games, new clips, new players, new shots, new Smart. things. There's always this new supply coming on, and it's very very real time, right? You want to get that key dunk in a game, you know, that no one else is going to be able to get. So. To me, it was brilliant to move into sports and to build that into the platform. So, so I, I, I always want to give up on NFTs until we get halfway through the conversation. And then I'm like, oh, I'd buy that. For example, last night I was watching the Warriors Sixers game because uh, two of my, my dearest friends are Philadelphia fans. And therefore, they were talking mad trash before the game about how the Sixers, who are very good this year, are going to trounce my Warriors, who are middle you know, we're middle. And, uh, but what they didn't realize is that Steph Curry, the superstar on the Warriors team and probably the single best uh, shooter of all time in the NBA's history is on a 10 game, 11 game heater. He's doing like 30 points a game now for the 10 or 11 games. And he threw something like 10, three pointers last night. And it was, it, it's such a good feeling to watch him do that. And if you were like, Alex, you can NFT, you know, that particular, you know, three pointer from Steph Curry, I would be like, how much money can I spend on this without getting my wife mad? You know, so like it, it, I, I kind of I, I, I always get drawn back in by, by the attractiveness of the content versus the NFT as a platform. Um, but let, let's summarize a little bit here. Dapper Labs is big and we definitely have a number of smaller players in the NFT space. I don't think they're all going to survive. Will we see consolidation, Natasha, do you think? Yeah, I mean, we think we already are. So Gemini, which was created by the Winklevoss twins and is kind of a Coinbase competitor for how to buy and trade crypto. Acquired, I think, last or two years ago, Nifty Gateway. We already saw Coinbase Ventures invest in an NFT marketplace. I think we'll at least see these providers and like platforms for crypto start to acquire these marketplaces. I want to uh, to do Dogecoin next because this has been a, a fascinating moment in the in, in the in the world of crypto. Because if you go back to like I, I want to say like the 2015 2016 era, it always felt like all the cryptos would go up and then they would all go down. And since then, we have seen, I I would say, Ethereum and Bitcoin become a little bit more long-term durable. And yet, there are some old friends coming back from the crypto history box to make headlines once again. One of those is Dogecoin. And uh, Natasha, Dogecoin was originally, I believe, a joke. And there's, there's like a quadrillion of them, and they print a bazillion more every 10 minutes. And yet, somehow, thanks to Elon Musk tweets, Reddit memes, and other things that annoy me, Dogecoin's been spiking. What in the flying fuck is going on? And you can bleep that. <laughs> I honestly don't know why it's happening, but I do love how poetic it is. I don't know if you guys read the thread I sent in our Slack from Joe Weisenthal. I did. I thought it was so well said, so I'm just going to quote him directly, if that's fine. Yeah, please. He basically wrote, there's a lot of self-congratulation in crypto. Bitcoiners who have made an extraordinary sum of money in a short period of time love how to talk about how they're taking on the Fed, et cetera, et cetera. Dogecoin is like Bitcoin, but without the virtue signaling. It's this thing that no one thought was going to work even more than Bitcoin somehow and is now meaningfully growing in value. And so to me, it's like just this really interesting statement on 
like what crypto is today. I just feel like some people are probably annoyed and I love when people get annoyed. I mean, the only difference really between Dogecoin and Bitcoin, there's two, I'd say. Dogecoin has a better logo and uh, Bitcoin is a hard cap. But so what? I, you know, you can't I mean, be mad like, when you I, talk I, about I, Dogecoin. Like it's just it's a no. it's a funny meme. And so I think I'm it's literally like, talking about Dogecoin while holding a dog. Yeah. So like this is this is incredibly appropriate. But sorry, Dinesh, I cut you off by accident. No, so no, no. I, I was just going to say, I, I think like crypto, again, on this theme of making it more palpable to the average human, like I feel like crypto consistently needs ways for people to like start. And maybe you weren't ready to buy Bitcoin, but you were willing to put a dollar into Dogecoin. That dollar is worth a lot more today. And that's fantastic. Like four dollars because yeah. <laughs> it's gone up by like 400 percent in the last week. Danny, Dogecoin is a joke, but it's also an asset that has created a huge amount of paper value in the last couple of weeks. What's your take on how dumb this is on a scale of one to um, the people who bought Taylor Swift's uh, catalog before she re-recorded all of her stuff? Love that question. Okay. <laughs> I, lo- I love so Danny's like, cultural references. Yeah, I, I don't know how to respond to that, right? What I will say is you said weeks, but this is what's actually nuts. It's not weeks. It's a week. Last Tuesday, we're, we're recording on Tuesday for a Wednesday episode, but last Tuesday, uh, Dogecoin was at $0.08 cents a coin, I guess, um, hit a peak at $0.43 cents a coin on Friday. So three days later, it had gone up five, almost 6x. And then now it's at $0.36 cents a, a coin. But like, you know, think, think about this, you know, in, in just a couple of days, it goes 4x. And I, I, I think that we're not used to this market where, you know, nothing should change in value that much unless there's like an SEC investigation or there's like accounting fraud. Like nothing should ever blow up, up or down to that extreme. The more you believe the markets are efficient, the more Danny's statement makes sense. I think what we're seeing <laughs> in the- My favorite debate on equity. <laughs> are markets efficient? No. And evidence of my correctness in this argument is, is are meme stocks and essentially just like the, the, the forcing of unreality into the markets. Like GameStop, not a great company. And yet- People believe in it like it's the Messiah, and they're going to keep pumping that stock until they die. And that's fine. Dogecoin. It's kind of a, a leftover crypto from the earlier days of Litecoin, when Litecoin was supposed to be like, you know, silver to Bitcoin's gold. That is an era that has gone way behind us in the crypto world. And yet here it is again. I want to get one more story done, because I think the other piece here on the flip side, okay, yes, there's a lot of fun with Dogecoin going up and down, but Coinbase has also had quite a frankly, tough couple of days post its direct listing. And Alex, you've been following the stock. What do you think is going on over there? Okay. So a couple of notes about this, Danny. So uh, and I, I don't think you're wrong, but also I think you're wrong. So, well, because no, <laughs> you, you're, you're mostly right, but also not entirely, I suppose. So so Coinbase went out and went public and uh, direct listed. And if you recall, it had a reference price of 250 a share. And everyone thought that was kind of low. And then it, it spiked up to a 52-week high of uh, 429.54. So it went up just very, very sharply when it began to trade. It has since come all the way down to 319.15 as of this second as we record. So on one hand, you're right, Danny, it has lost material value. On the other hand, it's up sharply from its reference price and it definitely repriced all of its equity dramatically higher from its last private round by a factor of like eight. So is it doing well? Yes. Is it doing poorly? Yes. I I think there's a couple of things. So I, I would point out over the last couple of days, very flat, actually like shockingly flat. Maybe because it was direct listed, maybe because there's been so many rumors and leaks and so much attention around Coinbase over the last couple of years. But essentially, with the first true major IPO in the crypto space, I expected a lot of variance, a lot of variations in the price over the last couple of days as analysts try to figure out what to price it. How do we understand it? Also, Coinbase's numbers have accelerated so much. Like, how do you evaluate the fact that it's grown, what, 7, 8x in revenues in like a couple of quarters? How do you even yeah. evaluate that? You look at the map over the last five days. I mean, it's like flatline, a little bit, you know, plus or minus a couple points. So this huge drop from the beginning. 
Now the company's worth $59 billion, according to Yahoo Finance, our, our sister publication. So it, it's not the $100 billion you heard. Like, the, you got this, like, reference price point at the beginning of this, like, Coinbase is $100 billion. It's now 60 I think it's worth pointing well, that okay. out. okay. There's two different numbers, right? So there's, there's the non-diluted IPO valuation, and then there's the fully diluted IPO valuation. And so what Yahoo Finance and what Google Finance, Google Finance says 63 and a half, whatever it's worth, they are calculating that on the current existing number of shares that are in circulation. The $100 billion number was valued on a diluted number, which I believe, Danny, is how VCs value startups. Because shares that are put into the employee options pool, for example, will be counted in the broader whole. Now, there's, again, there's no right answer here. It's correct that on a fully diluted basis, it was worth about $100 billion. It is also true that according to more normal standards that we see on uh, finance websites, it's worth about 65 So pick your poison. But certainly, it is not currently worth $100 billion according to normal rules, if that makes sense. And I'll add, because this came up in a family conversation recently, the Coinbase IPO is making careful investors who haven't touched crypto in the past be able to invest in a public company that believes in crypto. And so it's kind of this bet on crypto in a way that's comfortable to most people. And that to me, um, when my parents start talking about it and cousins start talking about it, that to me is another signal that things are changing. Alex, this came up in your story. Fantastic story. You wrote with Anna Heim about how Coinbase's direct listing could impact crypto startups. And basically, one of the investors said that with Coinbase's direct listing, you can now be a crypto startup and actually be credible when you say you plan to IPO versus have an ICO or exit via acquisition. I think there's so much on Coinbase's shoulders that's more than just Coinbase. I think it'll actually be a conversation we all should have like a month from now and, and two months from now, because it is going to talk a lot about how crypto startups will exit in the future. Yeah. And that was uh, Sarah Kunst over at Clio Capital. We talked to a, a bunch of investors about this. And generally speaking, everyone was very, very bullish about what the Coinbase direct listing will do for the crypto space. The only flip to that is that there's some concern that now that they're public, they have this kind of liquid currency they can use in the real world or the, the old fashioned world, whatever you want to call it. And they can use it to, to snap up companies that might challenge their incumbency in certain parts of the crypto space. So it'll be, it'll be fun to see if they become like you know Microsoft or if they're going to end up a bit more like Google and kind of piss away their advantage over a 10-year period. But we'll see how that kind of works out. And that was a search joke if you didn't get it. <laughs> but it's such a broad space. I'm curious what you guys think we're going to see next from cryptocurrency slash blockchain slash decentralized startups as we look forward to the next you know two or four quarters. So Natasha, starting with you, peer into your crystal ball and tell us where the startup space is going in the crypto world. Yes. So in your piece, Alex, you kind of you guys kind of mentioned how Coinbase right now is still pretty rudimentary in what it does. It makes money off of fees as a platform. And so I see that I'm sure we're going to be scratching our head at what the next one is. And I can't speak to that. But I think that there will be a lot more marketplaces that can use that as its survival mechanism, a vein into sure. it before there's any consolidation. So I expect a lot more interesting, surprising marketplaces around specific themes, around specific artists, even that are coming up. Okay. So Danny, with that very positive start, over to you. <laughs> That's simple. Look, I, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on onboarding into the crypto ecosystem. I mean, the, the big challenge going on is you have a lot of early adopters. We're still in that, you know, if you think of the S-curve of technology adoption, we're still in the very, very earliest stages. And and the, the big question is, can you get that whole middle group of people, the, the not the late adopters, but the folks who would adopt if the right use case came up, they could figure it out, they they learned all this sort of stuff. So I, I think you're going to see a lot around education, onboarding, tutorials, um, finding more use cases that are easier, I think a ton of startups are going to get focused and funded in that area. I'll throw in mind before we wrap here. So one thing that I've been excited to see is a lot of these decentralized finance setups that allow you to essentially 
stake your crypto and earn returns on it. Because one thing I don't think we're going to get away from in the next three, five years in the global economy is low yields in the in the traditional kind of bond world. And so if these new finance mechanisms, if you will, in the crypto space can generate even three to five percent set returns for invested capital, it could become incredibly interesting to a lot of large capital pools that want to find a place to put their money to work. And they can't put it all in venture. Theoretically, Tiger can invest all of it. <laughs> I think there could be institutional demand for that sort of product. And that could yield, I think, a, a lot of growth. So I'm going to be watching that part of the uh, the crypto ecosystem. But I mean, given how different our answers are, it's going to be busy, y'all. It's going to be real busy. But we have to wrap there. Hugs from us. We are back Friday morning with our more general news roundup. Until then, stay cool. Stay cool.